Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We're grateful that you're sharing some time with us. You know, polygamists claim that God commanded polygamy, but they have never been able to prove it. In fact, everything we learn about God indicates that he did not and could not have commanded polygamy. God has the final say about everything, and that includes marriage. His first and last word about marriage is monogamy. To find out more about us, you can go to our website, www.shieldandrefuge.org. And if you're in a polygamy group and would like a way out, we'd love to help you get out, and we can help you. Our, we do have a, a toll-free hotline. The number is 877-425-9993. We offer you hope and a support system. If you have questions, give us a call. We'll talk to you. We offer a safe place to go if you want to escape and everything we do is held in strict confidentiality. And for those who would like to call or make comments about our show or any of our shows, you can email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv or you can telephone us at 385-240-2888. And now we would like to introduce our co-host... Earl Erskine. Hi, Doris. <laughs> nice to be here again. Nice to have you back again. And as you very often and frequently <laughs> add the the Mormon flavor to a Mormon polygamist yeah, uh, dialogue. And, and this is a very interesting one tonight, <laughs> today. It is interesting, isn't it, polygamy? Yeah. There's a book entitled The Expose of Polygamy, written by Fanny Stenhouse, or Mrs. T.B.H. Stenhouse. It was published in 1872. And Mrs. Stenhouse tells of her experiences as a convert to Mormonism. She had been converted while living in England by a Mormon missionary who later became her husband. Now, Mrs. Stenhouse had heard rumors that Mormons believed in and practiced polygamy, and when she questioned the Mormon missionaries, she was promised that these rumors were terrible lies told by the enemies of Mormonism to hurt the cause of Mormonism. She believed that their answers, that polygamy didn't, go on and she married the Mormon missionary who had converted her. They immigrated, she immigrated with him to America and then to Utah where they settled down into Mormon pioneer life. She begins her book by quoting the following verses. The first one is from the Bible and then two of them from early Mormon writings. Fascinating reads. Yes. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, from Matthew, and from the Book of Mormon, There shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife, and concubines, he, sh he shall have none. And from the Book of Covenants, Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart, and shall cleave unto her, and none else. Okay, now we bring this to your attention to the end of the fact that these quotes are anti-polygamy and both 
<laughs> one from the Christian Bible and then two of them from Mormon doctrine. In quoting them at the beginning of her book, she was making a point that what they claimed was Mormon doctrine and practice was in reality not supposed to be Mormon doctrine and practice. Our polygamist and Mormon viewers should question contradictions like these. Why did they demand polygamy if they acknowledged monogamy? was God's rule. Mr. and Mrs. Stenhouse lived in Utah when polygamy ruled and reigned in every aspect of Mormon religion and daily life, yet she had been reassured they didn't practice polygamy. She was rightfully confused and disturbed because the revealed creeds of Mormonism embraced only monogamy, yet Mormons were practicing polygamy and preached that it was essential in order to achieve celestial glory. To help understand the turmoil of the times, Mrs. Stenhouse describes the horrific 1855 and 56 Reformation in Utah. There was incredible Mormon religious fervor. Barbaric doctrines were imposed upon the, the people by the teachers and the elders, which caused fear and dread among them. And some of these <clears throat> imposed doctrines formed the foundation of Mormonism. She writes about some of the awful polygamous marriages, and she describes many of them in her book, a very good book to get. You should purchase it if you can. It's very well worth reading. Among these frightful doctrines was the blood atonement. <laughs> It was an ongoing threat and practice. There were forced confessions of uncommitted sins, and then forced repentance and rebaptisms were a normal occurrence. And of course, there were forced marriages into the polygamous lifestyle. <clears throat> It was after this Reformation frenzy when Fanny Stenhouse began searching for a friend whom she had known in Switzerland before either of them had immigrated to Utah after they became Mormons. Now this friend had also converted to Mormonism and had also married a Mormon man who also denied polygamy. She finally found her friend and observed a radical but disturbing change in her. We quote, what a change was this! When I first knew them in their own country, this lady, the first wife, was a gay, light-hearted, happy woman. Now she was careworn, dull, and broken-spirited. I asked her how her husband came to marry. She an answered me, If you had been here during the Reformation, you would not need to ask that. Then she added, You ought to thank God that you were not here. The men were all crazy and were marrying every woman they could get. That was the frenzy that we were talking about. Yeah. She said the bishop had approached her husband and told him that he had not kept the commandments, that he must get another wife within a week. The teachers also came to her servant girl and told her that she must get married and said that if she had no one to choose, then choose someone for her. And this is what she wrote. Yeah, again from the book Ex Exposé of Polygamy in Utah. These were fearful times. No one dared refuse to listen, to counsel. What could we do? The husband talked to me about the matter. He said, my husband talked to me about the matter. He said that he had never before thought of it, and therefore he did not know whom to ask to be his second wife. We began to consider the whole affair in a practical light. If they made this girl marry and leave us, what should I do with all my family without her assistance? Only one solution of the difficulty presented itself, and we came to the conclusion that my husband had better ask her to be his second wife. 
as she also was under counsel, she accepted him, and it made no great change in our household. She has been a good girl, and although, of course, I feel all this, I try to bear it, but I hate the Mormons. Whoa. <laughs> That ruined her marriage. And yes. there's more to tell about this, which we can tell in another show. But she did go on to say how much she hated the forced and the unnatural system yeah. of polygamy and the Mormons who contrived and forced polygamy. So people may ask, why did they stay? If Mormon and polygamy life was so dreadful in those days, why didn't they leave? Well, one answer is the threat of damnation if polygamy, if they rejected yeah. polygamy. And, of course, that was written in Joseph Smith's Revelation of Polygamy. Yeah, section 132. Uh-huh. And Mrs. Stenhouse also explained why people couldn't escape. And this would apply especially to women with children who wanted to leave. No one could see at that time how they could escape over these vast, dreary plains, and therefore they had to submit to their fate. There was nowhere they could run to be yeah. safe. There was desert on all sides, or on these side, of course, there's the mountains that they couldn't uh, uh, get over, especially if they were trying to get out alone. There was no way anyone could escape and survive. And even if someone did have the courage to attempt an escape, there was, and there were some who did try, the Mormon Avengers were after them, and they would bring them back to a much worse future, we quote. This is scary from the John D. Lee uh, diaries. Punishment by death is the penalty for refusing to obey the orders of the priesthood. I knew of many men being killed in Nauvoo by the Danites. It was then the rule that all enemies of the prophet Joseph should be killed, and I knew of many a man who was quietly put out of the way by the orders of Joseph and his apostles while the church was there. Well, John D. Lee and the Danites followed Brigham Young and the Mormons to the Salt Lake Valley after the death of yeah. Joseph Smith, and these Danites continued to assassinate dissenters on Brigham Young's orders. There was no escape. The Danites were there, they were active, and the people were forced to submit to the daily polygamous lifestyle of unhappiness, abuse, and hopelessness. Now, this is just another story of lives that are ruined under the guise of righteous, righteous polygamy. And there are hundreds of heartbreaking accounts of ruined lives under uh, Mormon and because of Mormon polygamy, both in Mormonism then and now. Yeah. Fanny Stenhouse also wrote this. It is a matter of surprise to many persons that intelligent people can be influenced by the Mormon teachers to this extent. But it must be remembered that one that one that when once the disciples of any faith can be brought to believe in present revelation they think it is wicked to con question what they are taught and they don't dare question so they don't allow their own judgments to influence them in the least and there's a crutch of the problem yeah. and she wasn't afraid to write about it they were cautioned against thinking for themselves yeah. and that goes on today over 140 years ago Fanny Stenhouse recognized the errors of early Mormonism and warned against the doctrine of a living prophet with new revelation. And the warning is still valid today because no one dares to question the person who claims to be God's mouthpiece. But they should be questioned. And they are warned against it. Yeah, and Luke, but what did, oh, yeah, go ahead. What did Luke say? Did Jesus say in Luke? Luke said the law and the prophets were until John, what John is the that? Baptist. Yeah, <laughs> what does that mean? The law and the prophet, the prophets yeah. were until John the Baptist. Yeah. After him, only Jesus was and is worthy or able or capable of taking up the mantle of prophet. There are no more prophets. 
Jesus said so. In Hebrews 1, 1, 2, <coughs> God, who at sundry times and in, and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. He said, in the past, God spoke through prophets. Yeah. In the past, God spoke through prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. This was an important scripture to me. It to, is to so realize. powerful. Yeah. So it's it just so <laughs> clear that there's no modern day living prophet. God doesn't speak new revelation to us by Warren Jeffs or Thomas Monson or Paul Kingston or any other man that people may label as a prophet. We are supposed to listen and hear and obey Jesus Christ only. And none of those men are hearing from God on our behalf. God has warned us. And it doesn't matter what any other religion claims. The Bible came first and God has the first and the final voice. The New Testament does refer to prophets, but the job description of New Testament prophets is also there. And it's not the way Mormonism or the polygamists give their job description to prophets. That's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who prophesies edifies the church. Okay. He. Everyone who prophesies. Do you see that? Yeah. Everyone. That means there's more than one person who's doing it. And they do it um, to, to encourage and edify and to teach others. It doesn't say anything about new revelation or, or to lead the church. It doesn't say that there's a prophet who, who's in charge of the church or who mediates uh, the church to God or receives new revelation or predicts future uh, prophetic voices. Now, the next two verses may shock you, but let's read them. They're so important. Also from 1 Corinthians 14, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Does that ever happen in your Mormon congregations, where two or three prophets got <laughs> no. up and spoke? No. And, and all of them can prophesy in turn, where they took turns speaking? Yeah. No. That, that's prophets. For the New Testament kind of prophet, there's more than one prophet at a time, even in the same congregation, yeah. serving and edifying the needs of God's people. And notice also that those who listen are supposed to carefully consider and determine if what these people are saying is true. If they're biblical, we are commanded to test what they say. But in the Mormon minutes of the school of the prophets, it says this. If the president makes a statement, it is not our prerogative to dispute it. The Bible <laughs> says we're supposed to listen carefully. We're supposed to test it. We are supposed to dispute unbiblical teaching. We are commanded to hold up every teaching to the measurement of the Bible. The Bible's our guide. And if it doesn't measure up like polygamy doesn't measure up, we are supposed to disregard it and toss out all those who are teaching unbiblical doctrine. And the ward teacher's message in June of 1945 <clears throat> in the improvement era. Yeah, people don't think this actually came out of the church. It does. When our leaders speak, the thinking has been done. When they point the way, there is no other which is safe. When they give direction, it should mark the end of controversy. This is true in polygamy groups as well. This may have come imagine. out of mainline Mormon, but the polygamy groups teach this as well. We cannot question our leaders. Now, can you imagine actually as an LDS uh, actually questioning your prophet? 
Would you ever no, dare I, I wouldn't publicly question your... No. That's a radical thing to do, but that's what we're commanded to do. No. But there is no present-day prophet anyway who receives new revelation from God because Jesus said so. God got it right the first time when he wrote the Bible, and it complains the complete and final word to mankind, and it contains everything we need to know. Yeah, from Second Peter chapter 1, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need to know is given to us yeah. in abundance. Um, and, and so we don't, what do we need? Everything we need for life. Everything we need <coughs> to yeah. know. And, and another thing, God has a special plan for each of us. But if we refuse to believe God and embrace a counterfeit religion, we forfeit God's best plans for us. And the ladies and the women in polygamy, please know that God's very best plan for you never includes polygamy. It never has and it still doesn't include polygamy at all. And, and, and I would challenge every polygamous viewer and every Mormon. There's Mormons who still believe in polygamy. Yeah, I challenge probably. them to find it in the Bible. Yeah. Not find the practice of polygamy, but the command right. or, or the condoning where God condones polygamy. You know, John Taylor was the third president of the Mormon church. And yeah. he, of course, was a polygamist. I think the first seven presidents of the mm -hmm. Mormon church were all polygamists. Yeah. When John Taylor was 77 years old and he was in hiding because of polygamy, he took a 16-year-old girl to be his polygamous bride. He was 77, <laughs> she was 16. Did you know that? I didn't know that. You didn't know that no. when you were in the church? No. Oh, no, no. Don't talk about that. Is that okay? <laughs> it doesn't sound okay. Now, Warren Jeffs takes young brides and he's called a pervert. Yes. But Joseph Smith and John Taylor marry brides, young brides, and they're prophets of God. There's a disconnect here. When the United States government enforced the laws against polygamy, John Taylor made the following statement, which still reflects the attitude of many of today's polygamy groups. And this is quoted in 1880 from the Salt Lake Tribune. Statement of President of the Mormon Church, John Taylor. <clears throat> The people of the rest of the country are our enemies. We must not yield to them. They think we are foolish, and we think they are <laughs> foolish. They think we are a pack of rascals. We know they are a pack of rascals. We believe in honesty, morality, and purity, and freedom and loyalty to our country. But when they enact tyrannical laws forbidding us the free exercise of our religion, we cannot submit. God is greater than the United States, and when the government conflicts with heaven, we will be ranged under the banner of heaven and against the government. The United States says we cannot marry more than one wife. God says different, and his laws must be obeyed. We want to be friendly with the United States, but if the government will, will let us, but not one jot or tittle of our rights will we give up to purchase it. I would like the good God of heaven to prevent them from making laws that we cannot keep. But when adulterers and libertines pass a law forbidding polygamy, the saints cannot obey it. Polygamy is a divine institution. It has been handed down direct from God. The United States cannot abolish it. 
No nation on earth can prevent it, nor all the nations of the earth combined. I defy the United States. Wow, that's pretty powerful. That's a mouthful. <laughs> My goodness. Definitely is. And, and there's a lot in there, a lot of doctrinal things in there that the early, perhaps modern-day Mormons don't realize how much no, nonsense so. is in there. Now, is this something quoted often in in polygamy arenas? I mean, are they all aware uh, they're, of this? They're, that this exactly itself isn't quoted, but yeah. the attitude is. Yeah, John Taylor said, you know, maybe yeah. it's not quoted, but they might uh, paraphrase some of the things that he says. But certainly the attitude... The attitude against the United States yeah. is uh, true in the polygamy uh, groups. Us against them. Uh -huh. the, yeah, yeah it's, it's us against them. All through, all growing up in the polygamy group is always us against them. No matter who the them are, yeah. It's, yeah. it's us against them. Yeah. Uh, the Mormon scriptures not only denied that they practiced polygamy, but they also commanded against it even while they were practicing it. Now, it's another question. How can God command and condemn the same thing at the same time? LDS leaders, even today, continue to claim God commanded polygamy to the Old Testament prophets, but they're never able to say where on LDS.org when they wrote those essays on polygamy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they said, one of their sentences was, we don't know why God commanded polygamy to the Old Testament prophets, but... Yeah. But they don't ever say where. They never make a comment or, or a reference just or a Bible or verse. They, they must just have, must have commanded it. Yeah, they just say it did, but they never prove it. Yeah. There's not one single verse in the Bible that's ever been presented to sustain Joseph Smith's claim that he was restoring God's biblical mandate to practice polygamy. It isn't there anywhere. Now, this shows the honesty. Remember what you just read? I just read we believe in being honest, right? Yeah. Okay, now in France in 1850, John Taylor publicly complained about accusations against them for practicing polygamy, and this is what he said. Now, this is honest, not honest Abe, but honest, honest John. John. <laughs> <laughs> we are accused here of polygamy and, ac and actions the most indelicate, obscene, and disgusting, such that none but a corrupt and depraved heart could have contrived. These things are too outrageous to admit of belief. We declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband, except in the case of death. Okay. Now, he talks about polygamy here being indelicate and obscene and disgusting. Yeah. And at the time that he said this and denied it, he had a dozen wives. Oh, my. John Taylor had a dozen wives when he said. Now, he said earlier that they believe in being honest. And yet, look at what he does about polygamy. Uh, and, and he calls polygamy by the... So if John Taylor really thought polygamy was obscene, why is he practicing obscenity? Yeah. Or if he didn't think it was obscene, then he's lying about it. We've heard other stories about people being... Well, like you, we, Fanny Stenhouse, but others that are told in, in Europe that they're not... We don't, the Mormons aren't practicing polygamy, but when they get here, they find out. Yes, that, and that's yes, what they are. that's what happened with Fanny Stenhouse and her friend. Yeah. They they had been lied to about it, and then when they got here, and her husband said, "Well, we won't have to. It's a choice." Yeah. Well, they didn't have the choice. They were forced to, and eventually, Fanny's husband was pressured into living polygamy, and it ruined their marriage. And they finally, finally. I don't know if you heard this, but I just recently interviewed an individual who had been on a mission in Switzerland. 
and he was telling the story that that they represented themselves not as member not as missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints yeah. but that they were there as students mm -hmm. trying to do family values and family so structure right so, up front they were deceitful yeah and this was you know just not that, that many years ago yeah. but they were just not being honest about who they were and and what they and who what they, they represent were doing. and in right. fact it wasn't even until the second visit beyond the initial one, but then they skipped one completely, mm -hmm. didn't mention that they were from the church, but then the third visit, basically, they, then they were allowed or they were allowed encouraged to say who, they were, who from. they were really representing. It, it's awful. Um, for the, it, it's just awful, the, the deceit yeah. that comes out of these things. Uh, John Taylor, of course, and others in early Mormonism, uh, as we read, as, as you read, expressed a contempt for the United States government. And for the most part, modern polygamy groups have ma maintained that same contempt. However, historically... And that's what's interesting about that contempt is they haven't hesitated, and they still don't hesitate, to take advantage of welfare and no. free medical yeah. um, when they need it and other benefits that the government offers them. And they call it bleeding the beast. Mm. But, of course, that's a whole different show uh, when we talk about <laughs> the bleeding one, another the beast. Time. <laughs> yeah. But I know uh, today, in today's polygamy groups, as well as in when I grew up and in, and in most of the other groups, they don't give their children proper medical care, proper dental care. We were taught that doctors were of the devil, uh, that it was all a conspiracy to keep us sick. You know, they didn't oh, really want us to get really? well. Medicine was... Uh, you know, don't drink from the from the public fountains because they probably put birth control in the water and all oh, kinds of awful really? things that they taught us. Uh, they just don't trust the government. Wow! And it, you can see from that quote from John Taylor way back in 1850 yeah. where so much of that came from. Yeah, being deceptive and yeah, and, if, and, and threatening. And it, and it came uh, as a result, mostly of the result of polygamy. All that because they fled to get away from the persecution because they were practicing polygamy. Mm. Men were taking young girls from, and they were afraid. The people, you can imagine how afraid they would be. Well, and we were reading here about this frenzy from the Reformation in uh -huh. the 1855. I know you've done a show or two on that period of time. Yeah, when, we could do another one. <laughs> when Jedediah Grant or somebody was going around and stirring up people mm -hmm. and they were having to be rebaptized and yeah. confessing to sins. that They, they were forced to confess sins. They know. didn't even commit just to get the elders off their backs. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. It's an awful time. Awful place to be. Yeah. Um, so we talk about early Mormon polygamy and, and we'll do more about this just to show you that the foundations really aren't as righteous as they claim that they are, that polygamy was a hardship then, and it is a hardship now, and God never has commanded polygamy, not in the Bible, and he didn't tell Joseph Smith to live it either. <laughs> Thanks again, Earl, oh, for my being pleasure. here and helping. It. You know, despite all of the proofs supporting the accuracy of biblical translation, people still assert that we can't trust the Bible because it hasn't been translated correctly. But what they refuse to believe is that God is able to have kept errors from his word, and he he did. Jesus believed the Bible. He quoted from it. 
he obviously trusted it. We have that same Bible today. And sadly, if the early Mormon women and today's polygamous women would trust the same scriptures from which Jesus quoted, they would quickly realize that polygamy was never from God or commanded by him. And it would have and would now save so many women and children from painful, abusive lives in polygamy. We encourage our polygamous viewers to trust and read and study the Bible alone, where God's ideal is monogamy. Thanks for watching Polygamy. What love is this? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.